edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I am Bruce Hooley. Glad to have you along. Glad to be back talking about Buckeye basketball and the Bengals advance to the Super Bowl. Holy smokes, I got a lot of friends who are going to be super excited about the Bengals being in the Super Bowl. Not going to lie and position myself as a lifelong Bengals fan. No, that is not the case. In fact, for years and years and years when the Bengals first came into being, I couldn't stand the Bengals. I, ugh, I just, they, they cut into the action of my Cleveland Browns. And that was back when the Battle of Ohio was the thing. It ceased to be a thing because, of course, the Browns now seem to have more focus on their rivalry with the Ravens and more focus on their rivalry with the Steelers. But lately, I've watched the Bengals kind of since the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era and admired the fact that they've figured it out. They've had some down years since then, but drafting Joe Burrow shows they've got that transformative leader with the number one overall pick that all teams hope they get. When they happened to fall into the number one pick, the Bengals were there when Burrow was there, and Joe Burrow exploded with his final year at LSU. And I mean, just wow! What what can you say about Joe Burrow and the Bengals? They deserve every superlative. I'm rooting for them against the Rams. I'm really happy for the city of Cincinnati, and I hope with all my heart that the Bengals win that Super Bowl coming up in two weeks. I hope also you will patronize our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com is the website. Great coffee, great mission. They buy their coffee direct from growers around the world. Those growers get more money than they would get going through government agents. The money's not skimmed off the top. That money then does great things in each of the growers' local communities. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will give you 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Those of you who continue to order from Hemisphere, thank you very much. I know they're appreciative of the business, and I'm appreciative that you keep great people in business. And trust me on this, Paul, Grace, Andy, and the people at Hemisphere are indeed great people. So use that promo code, WETACKLELIFE, in all caps, when you order at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. If you've never tried it, try it. It comes in all different varieties, light, medium, dark roast. You can get it whole bean. You can have them roast it. You can get it in K-Cups. It's excellent coffee. Doing great work around the world. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. All right, let's start with that Bengals win. I mean, wow. If I'd have said, uh, what, a month ago? A month, five weeks ago? Hey, Bengal fans, you'll be able to get to the Super Bowl if, if you can hold the Kansas City Chiefs to a field goal in the second half of your regular season game against them at Paul Brown Stadium and a field goal in the second half of your playoff game against them at Arrowhead Stadium. How many Bengal fans would have taken that bet? And if I had said in the playoffs you'll have to play without Larry Ogunjobi, who's been a transformative guy in the middle of your defensive line all season. I don't think any Bengal fan would have taken that bet, at least hoping that they were actually going to win it. They would have liked to have had a playoff game, and they would have liked to have beaten the Chiefs and won the AFC North, but they've done both. They limited Patrick Mahomes who put up three touchdowns on the Chiefs' first three possessions on Sunday to three measly points after the Bengals had come all the way back from a 21-3 deficit. The Chiefs, I'm beginning to wonder about Patrick Mahomes. Is he another Aaron Rodgers? Which, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL, but played a long time and he has one Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes now has, uh, you know, had years where you would think, okay, He's going to win a Super Bowl, and he didn't, and this is one of those years. So uh, that one to me is puzzling, that Tyreek Hill doesn't get a catch in the second half, that uh, the Chiefs up 21-3 to botch the end of the first half and don't get any points. 
I would think Andy Reid was watching the Bengals against the Titans a few weeks ago when Mike Vrabel decided he'd go for two instead of going for one after a penalty put the ball at the one-yard line. In the playoffs, man, every point is precious. And if you are going to give away points, they're very likely going to come back to bite you at the end of the game. That is absolutely what happened with the Chiefs and the Bengals. As Joe Burrow gets his team into the end zone near the end of the first half, then the Bengals hold, then the Bengals go down and get a field goal. So now it's 21-13. to 13. Bengals get the interception. They take it in. They get the two-pointer on just a total bust by the Chiefs in coverage. Then the Bengals start, like, making pl- making more plays on defense and set up their offense to go down and win the game. Bengals hold on the Chiefs' final drive of the game. The Chiefs were like, what are they doing? Trying to manage the clock or not? It's amazing to me how teams in the playoffs act like, oh, we can't give the other team even five seconds to score. we got to choke every second off the clock. They got a first and goal at the four-yard line, and they end up kicking a 43-yard field goal because they messed around and didn't pump, punch the ball in the end zone. Now, I'm sounding like I was rooting for the Chiefs. I wasn't, but that's just bad coaching, and Andy Reid shouldn't skate on that. He shouldn't skate on the end of the first half. By the way, have you noticed how the glow has all come off Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, A guy that, oh, a couple years ago, and you'll hear it again this year, if, uh, if enough black coaches to appease the uh, NFL media out there aren't hired – You'll hear about Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy, Eric Bieniemy. Well, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator who didn't get him in the end zone at the end of the first half and who turned up what should have been a certain game-winning touchdown at the end into a, boy, I hope he makes this 43-yard field goal. And again, why did they stop running the ball? They got Clyde Edwards-Elair. I just, I'm really glad the Bengals won, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, Chiefs, you blew that game, and they sure did, and you can't do that at home. Bengals win on the road at the number one seed Titans, win on the road at the number two seed Kansas City, and now they're taking on the Rams at SoFi Stadium. That's a home game for the Rams, and I think that actually works for the Bengals. I think it works for the Bengals not to be, uh, or to be playing a team that's playing at home. There's going to be all kinds of pressure on the Rams to win the Super Bowl at home. Um, I like the Bengals in this game probably speaking with my heart there because I don't like Odell Beckham and I don't like the fact that the Rams have gone out and signed themselves a super team with Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller and they already had Aaron Donald and given up a ton of draft picks so if they don't win it this year uh, it'll be uh, a big time miss for them but boy this would be cool if the Bengals would win the Super Bowl what a cool 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 thing that would be for the city of Cincinnati to win a Super Bowl this will be the Bengals' third trip, first in 33 years. Last time was back during my college years when uh, Joe Montana, John Taylor, Jerry Rice, and the 49ers broke the Bengals fans' hearts with a late touchdown. But the big question, of course, is now, am I being a disloyal Browns fan by rooting for the Bengals? Answer, no. Do you want Odell Beckham to have the post-game platform to rip on the Browns and to rip on Cleveland and to rip on the organization Uh, Do you want Odell Beckham to be rewarded for his selfishness, for quitting on the team? I don't. So I'm rooting for the Bengals. I don't have any problem with being a Browns fan saying that. And I think if you are a Browns fan and you're not saying that, I think you got to get over yourself. But I'm sure there'll be some differentiating opinions on that, as there always are. No differentiating opinion when it comes to the best place to get free analysis of your health insurance. It is unquestionably auiinfo.com. 
auiinfo.com can and will answer all your questions when you go to their website, auiinfo.com, and type into their chat whatever you want to know. Is this doctor still in my plan? Is this hospital in my plan? Are the benefits for this type of issue robust in my plan? Maybe I'm having a joint replacement, surgery, something like that. Is this a good plan for that? Am I getting my value? Likewise, business owners, auiinfo.com will answer your questions about whether or not you can offer better benefits than you're offering now if you spend the same amount you're spending now or less than you're spending now. auiinfo.com, a health insurance brokerage, they offer free, free, I said, analysis to you as easy as a click away at auiinfo.com. Who pays them? The insurance companies pay them. They all want to do business with you. Have you ever seen when we get close to open enrollment, how many insurance company ads are on TV? They all want your business, and they're willing to pay to get it. They'll pay auiinfo.com. You won't pay them, but you'll get the information without AUI tilting you toward one company or another. They're in it for your best result. Avail yourself of their free service, auiinfo.com. That's auiinfo.com. All right, now I have to switch to the unpleasant part of the podcast, which is unfortunately... Another Ohio State basketball road loss. All right, true confession, I didn't expect them to win at Purdue. I didn't expect them to even be really competitive at Purdue because Purdue's really good, and after I watched Purdue, I realized Purdue's even better than I thought they were. What team in the country brings their two best players off the bench? Purdue, that's who. Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey, they both come off the bench. Crazy to me. But as the game went on, I was infuriated with the fact that the officials, Bo Borowski, terrible Big Ten official, we're calling way more fouls on Ohio State, which is not even close to being as physical as Purdue, than they were calling on Purdue. Purdue ends this game with like 14 fouls. Ohio State has 22. Purdue's post players, Zach Eady, seven feet four, like gigantor, and Travion Williams have four fouls between them. Ohio State's post players, both Liddell and Key had four. Joey Brunk and Kyle Young had three apiece. Come on, man. There's no way the contact's that one-sided. That's just a joke. Purdue shot, what, eight more free throws than Ohio State? Maybe 12 more free throws than Ohio State. And they end up winning the game by three, even though they were up by 20 with 15 minutes to go. And Ohio State put together this phenomenal rally. Malachi Branham started it, 10 consecutive points. E.J. Liddell helped finish it, two three-pointers in an eight-second span inside the final, like, 35 seconds. But you gotta bring it sooner than the last, what, eight minutes. That's my one disappointment with Ohio State, which continues to kind of sleepwalk through portions of road games, and that will get you beat 100 times out of 100 in every Big Ten environment. You cannot go to Indiana and Wisconsin and even Nebraska and lollygag around and expect to walk out of there with a win. They're lucky they got a win in overtime at Nebraska. They didn't come close to winning at Wisconsin or Indiana. And for most of this game at Purdue, it didn't look like they would come close to winning. So this team has not been a good road team. I know they got a win over Seton Hall, but they also have a buzzer-beating three loss to Florida because they had a lead and yacked it away. They didn't have the lead to yak away at Purdue. But I would have done the end of the game differently than Ohio State did it. And I'm, I'm not a basketball coach, but here was my thing. Ohio State ties the game with 25 seconds left. Purdue's throwing the ball inbounds. And my one advice to the team, my one instruction to the team in the in that huddle would have been, we're going to play defense unless they throw the ball to Travion Williams or Zach Eady. 
in which case we're going to tackle them and put them on the line for two shots because Edie was 6 of 11 and Williams was 1 of 5 at the line. Well, wouldn't you know, Purdue inbounds the ball in a backcourt and they throw the ball to Travion Williams on the inbounds. And Ohio State has two guys there with him and they try to steal it and they don't foul him and Purdue calls time. Oh, missed opportunity. I want the ball and the final shot in regulation on the road. This is similar to the old baseball adage that you play for a tie at home, but you play to win on the road. And they were playing like they were going to tie the game and win it in overtime. I don't think that was the case. They had foul problems. I mentioned Liddell had four. Uh, Purdue had gotten almost every call in the game. And I just didn't think that's a game you're going to win in overtime. So I want the ball. And if Travion Williams is shooting two free throws, you're probably not going to be down more than one, maybe not even one. And even if you're down two, you can tie it and go to overtime. You still have that option. Or you can win it with a three. So I really hated the way they decided to go through that post game. I had an argument with a friend who's very close and embedded with the program about it. But he said, no, no, you don't do it. I, I disagree. I just think you do. I think you play on the road to get that basketball if there's a vulnerable free throw shooter on the other team, and there was. And unfortunately, you know, Purdue dicked around with it for 20-some seconds, tossed it to Jaden Ivey, he jumps, shoots, makes it. And bummer, Eugene Brown's right there, and he doesn't jump. He doesn't jump. And uh, I'm not knocking Gene because he played a tremendous game, and I like to see him get more minutes. But that was just a hard one to lose when it was looked like one they might steal. And they would have definitely stolen it. But it was one that I thought they could have gotten. All right. I want to talk about who played, who didn't play, and who should play going forward. But first, I want to remind you that the official attorney of the We Tackle Life podcast is Willis Spangler Starling. Check him out online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. They'll do great work for you. I sent a friend to them last week for a family matter that needed, you know, you get people at the end of life, you need power of attorney, you need this, that, and the other, all these. Willis Spangler Starling was so awesome to work with on that. The friend of mine was blown away by them. You will be too. Their expertise extends into every aspect of the law in terms of employment law, social security disability, wills estate planning, probate, personal injury, you name it, they'll do it. They'll do it great. They'll do it a lot of times for a flat fee, a lot of times they'll tell you up front what it'll cost. That's a relief to know because I had an attorney one time long before I ever knew about Stan and Kelly and Phil and Ashley and the great partners at Willis Spangler Starling, and he put me on the clock, and man, did that end up being a nightmare. And I got absolutely hammered on the cost and never got any satisfaction. That won't happen at Willis Spangler Starling. On Twitter, at Spangler Willis. Online, at willisattorneys.com. WillisAttorneys.com. They're located in Hilliard, Truman Boulevard, just a little bit north of Mill Run, uh, where Target and Home Depot are located. Okay, with the Buckeye basketball team, now they play Iowa on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. There's always a possible uh, referee incident when Fran McCaffrey, crazy screaming Fran McCaffrey and Iowa are in town. Um, But we saw yesterday at Purdue, for the first time in uh, the entire season, Justin Arns did not start the game. I know Justin Arns is a really good shooter. I really like Justin Arns personally. There just becomes a point, and we're at it, where you can't continue to throw him out there in 
games hoping his shooting slump will end that night. I think he has to find it coming off the bench, and I presume he will be coming off the bench from now on. And actually, it wouldn't surprise me, and in fact, almost pains me to say this, because I like Justin a lot, and he's a kid we cover at PressProsMagazine.com, it wouldn't surprise me if Justin's minutes, more of them, are going to Cedric Russell and Gene Brown. Because Cedric Russell is just as good a shooter as Justin, and Cedric Russell can dribble drive and get into the lane, and he's a little bit niftier with the ball than Justin. He's not a he's not a worse defensive player than Justin. Justin has length on him. Justin's improved as a defensive player, but he's still, I mean, man, you watch other teams play, Justin is red meat on defense. When they see him, they attack him. And he's, as I said, he's gotten a lot better, but he's still a guy that other teams uh, seem to want to target defensively and they'll target Cedric Russell too Cedric's not a defensive player either that's like it's not like saying Cedric can lock people down because he can't in fact his defense is what kept him off the court early in the year and Justin's was vastly superior to Cedric's but right now Cedric gives you offense and Justin is not and if you want that defense that's Gene Brown and Gene Brown can score too he had a pretty good offensive game on Sunday so I just think we might be seeing Justin's minutes waning until he can shoot himself back into the lineup. And if he makes shots, he will shoot himself back into the lineup. But at this point in time, Ohio State has to start figuring out its rotation for the And it is that rotation is not and never is going to include Justice Suing or Seth Towns. I never, ever, ever put any hope in Seth Towns coming back. Back surgery? No, that's a non-starter for me. Seth Towns, I mean, he had a healthy summer. And he got to the season, and they were going to run everything through through Justice Suing. And <clears throat> just, I mean, kerblooey. I don't know what it is, but he's doing basically nothing in practice right now. And so I think depending on Justice Suing for anything the rest of the way is fool's gold. Will he be back next year? Well, I would hope so, but you got to wonder. Because once you have an injury like that, and now it's a chronic injury because it's been two years, I think it's very hard to envision that uh, Justice Suing will be a part of the Ohio State basketball program going forward. I don't know about Seth Towns. These guys have as long as they want to continue their careers uh, because of COVID, but um, you know, maybe Seth will move on. He's got two degrees. I'm sure he'll do very, very well for himself in the business world or whatever. I'm, Seth Towns strikes me as the kind of guy who might want to become a lawyer and might want to you know, probably end up on the faculty at Ohio State in the uh, Kerwin Institute over in the law school. All right, so with that, Let's transition into the faith portion of the podcast. And in the faith portion of the podcast today, I want to talk a little bit about authenticity. And authenticity is important to me every day, and particularly on this day, uh, because today is my middle daughter's 16th birthday. Uh, That's a landmark day. And I remember very well the day that she was born, and I had some unique experiences that I experienced with her growing up that I never experienced with my other uh, two daughters. Um, My middle was the one that allowed me to put her to bed at night. Mom didn't have to put her to bed. She would, and liked dad putting her to bed, which was pretty cool. And she's the only daughter that I was able to be in the delivery room for her birth. So that was pretty cool. So there are just some things that I share with her that have bonded me to her, not more than my other two, because I have things with the other two that I don't share with, <laughs> you know, I have sh- things I share with each one of the other two that are not common to uh, the other daughters that uh, my wife and I have. But uh, on the day of her 16th birthday, I was thinking about my 
responsibility to her as her father. And I am a big believer, because I believe research and um, life bear this out, that a young woman needs a healthy relationship with her dad. Uh, Dads provide structure. They provide protection. They provide discipline. They provide um, the right kind of affection so that girls don't grow up um, looking for those things in unhealthy ways and from unhealthy sources. And so I was thinking a lot about authenticity. And, you know, honestly, I think a lot about uh, providing. That's kind of a male thing, right? We provide, we think about, like, are we providing for our families? And uh, that's been a bit of a um, mental struggle for me over the last few years as um, I've tried to cobble together a a living with uh, a couple different endeavors that have not um, measured up to um, my income level in some previous spots, but we're doing good. God's uh, been very faithful. We're doing better than I ever thought we could. But um, anyway, you know, I'd love to be able to buy my daughter like everything she wants, and I'd love to be able to, you know, every. This is kind of a common thing for dads. I don't mean everything she wants because, of course, that's not healthy for her. But I'd like to be able to provide a little bit more. And then I was thinking today about, you know, is that good? Would that be good if I could? And Lord, you know, should I feel, should I work harder or should I do this or that or whatever? You know, what I got back was that um, this time in our life as a family will be a time that my daughters will all remember and that uh, projecting confidence to them and projecting assurance to them is probably going to prove more important down the road than, hey, dad bought me these shoes, or dad got me this or that, and I look just like the rest of the kids I go to school with. And so I realized that authenticity is more important than affluence. I had a conversation on Saturday with a friend who I had not connected with in uh, many years, more than 10 years, Um, and it was just so good to sit down and talk with him about his faith journey my own faith journey. We used to see each other in the course of our uh, work in journalism. Uh, He didn't really know about my faith. I didn't really know at that time about his faith. And it was just great to sit down and talk to somebody who loves Jesus and who has dedicated his life uh, since his um, young adulthood to serving God. And his faith journey kind of dovetails in timing and maturity with my own. And so that was just really cool to uh, spend that time with him. And so I was thinking about that conversation today. I was thinking about my daughter's 16th birthday, thinking about authenticity, and thinking about the best thing I can do for my daughter and the best thing I can do for my friend, who uh, now he and I will spend more time together, is be authentic in assuring that every portion of my life is integrated with my Christian faith. And that's um, not always pleasant to do, (laughs) honestly. Um, I have, over the years, lost a couple people who were, at one point in my life, pretty good friends of mine Um, because we've had some instances where our conversations have delved into current events, politics, intersections of current events and politics with faith. And those gentlemen have chosen to remove themselves 
from my life. They might say that I chose to remove myself from their life. That would not be accurate in my opinion because I would love to continue having those kinds of conversations with them. They have not uh, shown any interest in that and in fact have said they are not interested in that. And so I'm willing to trust God on timing and let that sit. And I regret uh, the loss of those friendships because they were guys I enjoyed spending time with. And yet I feel like to not discuss the things we discussed that led to our falling out would make me inauthentic with them because the things we discussed are things that are extremely consequential to me in terms of right and wrong. Uh, I'm talking about morality issues. I'm talking about life issues. I'm talking about um, political issues around uh, things like abortion and um, the like. And so I don't feel like I can be authentic and not expose them to my faith prism through which I view those issues. And it has cost me my friendship with them, and, you know, so be it. So there's a right way and a wrong way, of course, to have those conversations. Um, I think the Bible is pretty firm and clear that we are to expose our beliefs to others. We cannot impose it on others. Um, But to hide from where you stand on consequential matters in our world today, to hide that you stand where you stand because of your faith, I think is being inauthentic. It is very easy as guys to have relationships with other guys that have compartments around them, (laughs) right? This is my sports buddy. We only talk sports. This is my work buddy. We only talk work. We don't talk family. We don't talk this. Guys are like that, right? We sit at a table. We have a conversation with guys. We all know what we're talking about. Guys sitting at a converse, sitting at a table with women, we can't keep up. Women are talking about this person, and then they're talking about their shoes, and then they're talking about shopping, and then they're talking about their high school years, and they're like all over everywhere. And sometimes I've sat at a table with my daughters and my wife and they're talking and I'll refer to something they've been talking about. And they'll look at me like, huh, what are you talking about? And I'll go, well, you know, you were just talking about, and they're like, oh, dad, that was like four conversations ago. (laughs) Everything's connected to everything with women. Guys, we have our boxes, man. We got work box, home box, friendship box. But I can't put my faith in a box and not let it underpin everything in my life. I believe strongly that's what God wants us to do. I believe that's how we attract people to the faith. And so that sometimes brings unpleasant results. I don't like it that a guy I used to spend a bunch of time with back when I was working at the Plain Dealer uh, doesn't talk to me anymore. But I understand that the reason why we don't talk anymore is because he thinks it's okay to vote for political candidates who advocate for the abortion of children. I don't think that's okay. I will never think that's okay. And I will not avoid the topic or say that it's okay just in order to preserve the part of our relationship that he's comfortable with. Because 
I believe that in doing so would be to be kind of like an accomplice to the abortion of children continuing. If I don't let friends know when the topic comes up that there are things on the morality side, on the social issues side, that I disagree with because I believe in a sovereign God of the universe who sent his son to earth to die for my sins and save me from my sins and provide an avenue to eternal life. If I keep that a secret, then what hope do I have of attracting those guys to that same faith and to getting them to see that God calls us to view everything in life through that prism? In that vein, let me read to you from Matthew 5. Jesus is speaking. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I'm not trying to contend that I'm always light and that I'm always salt. I have lost my saltiness many times in my life. I've lost my effectiveness. I've lost my, the power of my witness. I've hidden my light and I've obscured it many times. I'm now aware of the deep regret that I feel over that because I feel like every time I did that, I did exactly the same thing to Jesus that Peter did to him when he denied knowing him three times. Essentially, when I, don't, when I did not step up and say, no, I object to this behavior, that behavior, this practice in our society, this thought, this viewpoint, this ideology, because I was afraid of the friendship it would cost me or the consternation and uh, criticism it would bring me, I did the exact same thing Peter did. I denied that I knew Jesus as my Savior. I will not do that again. Whatever it costs me, I will not do that again. It probably makes me less marketable in my profession. It definitely makes me less um, embraceable to some of the people that used to be very good friends. But it is my strong conviction that that is what God calls me to do. And it is my hope that in calling me to do that, I will be able to impact the lives of others who may not be quite at that point yet in their devotion to the faith. So that's where I stand on those topics. I hope you guys have an awesome day. That was a little uh, awkward. Sorry about that. Uh, That's where we are on a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. You can find us on every podcast platform out there. You can email the show, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Hope you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again later on this week.